Let me tell you what this political movement is about. Jobs and growth for all Australians. Don jobs and growth. Have great jobs. Economic growth. Strong growth. More jobs. When they go low, we go high. So I'm seeing in my mind something very similar with this bill to a colonoscopy. Let me just stop you so you don't waste a line of questioning. I'm just giving you... I love the mansplaining. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. Please clap. Please clap. This is Represent. 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 On Sid Nation. Good afternoon. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. And I'm Julia Pillay. I'm Maria Dunn. And I'm Tash. This is the very first show of the year, and we're going to be talking about a great deal of issues, such as executive orders, um, the ongoing controversy around Row 8 in Perth, and domestic violence in Russia. But it's been a super huge year last year, and we think that it's going to be just as big this year in politics. Do you agree? Yes, I'm very excited. Yeah, well, it's especially like, you know, whatever. it's like what everyone's been saying, you know. To this year is like the year of politics, basically. Yeah. yeah. So stay tuned because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Um, so you can get involved too. Send us a tweet at SinRepresent or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. But first, we'll kick things off with a song. Um, That was Phoenix with If I Ever Feel Better. You are listening to Represent on Sid Nation. Um, so, guys, the first few weeks of Trump's presidency. It's yep. been pretty big. It's, it's been, been um, not quiet at all. It's been very, very noisy and yeah. very interesting. I guess it kind of feels like every, I mean, because it's happening now, it feels like the worst thing. But um, the executive orders that has been putting through. It's very um, frightening. But what is an executive order? <laughs> wow. Amazing Maria, segue. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> well, well I, I just wanted to, like, I found, like, the media hasn't really been, like, the only thing that's, like, on the media has been really, like, talking about executive orders have been, like, kind of government-funded things, like, ABC or the BBC, like, they've been, like, actually defining what an executive order is. But I decided to, like, take it upon myself to like discuss what an executive order actually means for people just for the general knowledge. So an executive order allows the US president to take direct action without the input of Congress. However, executive orders work upon existing legislation rather than creating additional laws. So this is, for example, um, President Trump cannot pass an order saying his cousin named Larry. I don't know why I chose Larry, but I thought Larry's Larry is a cool name. Yeah. You know, he can't be like, Larry must attend every family gathering or be subjected to torture. Like, he can't do that because there's no legislation or nothing there to say cousin Larry's in the Constitution of America or in the legal, like, acts of America. So it's because there's no law already. Yeah. So Re- referencing yeah, Larry. Exactly. So okay. um Lucky Larry. So basically his cousin Larry's okay. But like for example, like other things that he can put executive orders on, for example, like um abortion, he's able to amend since it's already like has federal law and has been like debated and like taken to trial in America in the High Court. 
Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, with abortion, this law has um, been interpreted by Donald Trump as having... It's been called a global gag rule um, by the media, and that's due to the fact that it prohibits all health organisations, including NGOs across like the world, um, that receive federal funding overseas or domestically from performing or even suggesting abortion as a method of family planning. So it's completely like obliterating the idea of abortion in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like maybe we can talk about like the fact that um, this is very drastic compared to like even like the um, legislation or the executive order of people like Ronald Reagan um, who similarly banned the use of federal funds for abortion. However, it wasn't so much influenced by um, international, mm-hmm. like, things like NGOs. Like, what do you guys think? Well, I think it's, like, it's pretty scary. I think it takes a step back, but it also kind of, like, um, sort of defines the Trump presidency in terms of his campaign. He was really about, like, not you know, putting America first, so, like, not giving other countries money, you know, being against NATO, the UN, and all of that stuff. So it kind of, like, makes sense in terms of his campaign rhetoric. But, yeah, it's always devastating. I mean, like, this is necessary. And, um, yeah, sort of, like, cutting off American, um, I don't know, support in the international realm. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's particularly interesting is that um, by, like, abolishing the funds, that basically prohibits like any like taking upon like it's like almost as if like you're threatening like we have cut all your funding you cease to exist because like economically you can't withstand this Mm. and that's the disappointing thing and like that like in like in even like affects like other like countries for example in like um some like african nations which um rely on American um, um, American support in donations yeah. and stuff for family planning purposes, yeah, which might be controversial, but, like, it does make a huge impact into the, like, state of, like, life in some countries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I think is really, like, um, kind of scary about it and I guess kind of controversial is the fact that, like, Trump can you know, has the power of executive order, but he doesn't or he didn't um, sort of, like, really plan out what how the laws were going to be enacted. Mm. So, you know, you see with the travel ban, you know, it was, ta- you know, taken as law and then that, you know, government officials and, you know, immigration, yeah. like, they didn't know. All they knew is that they couldn't accept certain people, but there was no way of basically knowing how they were going to enforce it. So it was yeah. really, like, almost a simplified quick sticks, like, plan. Yeah, mm. that links back also to, like, the executive order, like, isn't a part, like, although it isn't a part of the Constitution, um, it's basically something that they are bound to and it is a law. And this is, like, how executive orders are challenged and checked because it is, like, it is challenged by the Constitution because it isn't a, like, constitutional, like, right or it isn't a law, but, like, it's still... Um, has the same power, which is kind of scary. Yeah, and it's really ironic. Mm. So we're going to go to a song now, um, but we'll be talking about this after the song. Um, But we also want to hear your thoughts about um, the first few weeks of Trump's presidency. 
you can tweet to us at sinrepresent or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash sinrepresent. We're going to play a song. This is... You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation, and we've been talking about executive orders in um, so the usage of executive orders by uh, President Trump um, in the first few weeks of his presidency. So, Maria, what else? Um, what, what other executive co- uh, executive orders have been causing controversy this few weeks? So, the main one that's been causing controversy in recent times has been um, the Muslim ban um, that's been. Um, in quotation marks. Quotation marks. Yeah, we're saying um, which is travel ban called, just to be um, The travel ban yeah. is actually called Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States legislation. Um, and it is imposing a ban, um, as you may know, on seven Muslim-dominated countries um, for 90 days. This links to the Immigration and Nationality Acts that have already been enforced in the United States and has created a worldwide travel ban from people coming to the states from countries such as Iraq, Syria, Iran, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen. It's actually been really interesting how how a lot of um, news sites have been following that particular issue. Um, again, I guess you know the they've been calling it a Muslim ban, which yeah. it, it it is to an extent. But it's interesting that countries such as Saudi Arabia and um, Indonesia and um, Egypt U- and other yeah, much larger Muslim countries haven't been. A lot of um, <laughs> people actually, like, it's interesting that you, like, suggest that because a lot of people have been speculating um, that perhaps the fact that um, this is um, seen in these countries is because of retribution purposes because these countries have um, one thing in common as well as being Muslim predominantly they also were all attacked by u.s um military so perhaps they're like some people are suggesting that perhaps this is a ban to enforce like less likelihood of like retribution or like revenge like terrorism which i think is an interesting way of looking at it in particularly that like it makes it more like um kind of like um expressed like with um, why not mm. Indonesia or why not Egypt. Like, it makes it much more interesting, I find. Yeah. yeah. Is it also... Because I've, I've also there's been kind of like... And I'm, I'm not sure... It's, <laughs> it's, it's, there's like, this is an issue um, about the media in general right now. It's like, I don't know how I can verify it. But there's been, you know, I guess a little bit more of a cynical outlook being like, oh, you know, Trump has done, you know, work with, with Saudi Arabia, like business ties to Saudi Arabia and whatnot. But... If if an executive order must be based on laws that are already in yeah. practice or have been in practice before, yeah. that means that at some point there have been travel bans on Syrians, on um, Iraqis, etc. Like I think that that's mostly to do with like um, a lot of people have cited things like the Patriots Act that were like a small like as in like a way of like. Um, immigration being slightly but it wasn't to that degree like the thing is that it doesn't have to be to the same degree it just has to be like something of a similar like um, it's kind of like implied hmm. um, kind of like acts like come similarly you don't like he doesn't copy what has happened before but he can um, Work off interpret yeah that's what they use the um, interpret and um, 
push, like they say, like, oh, these government agencies should, like, do this. Um, and what's interesting is this law has been under scrutiny by even the judicial system of America um, with a law professor who's challenging it, um, George at, like, George Washington University, um, Jonathan Tully, saying that there's an argument under the 1965 immigration law um, which um, basically prohibits discrimination based on religion. And some people even cite the First Amendment as a justification for this ban being 100% illegal and against the Constitution of America. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I, you know, like um, saying like religious vetting or profiling, um, and I, I've just heard, like, in a, like reading a few articles and stuff, that you know they would endeavour to allow Christians yeah. in. So that just completely like redacts anything anyone said about it not being a religious ban mm. um, and not like profiling someone based on their background. Yeah. So it's really um, what I think is also interesting is that like it seems to be sort of like this surprising controversy, but. Like executive orders, and I guess yeah. yeah, because now we have Trump, it's kind of like happening now. So we're always making it like the precedent. But um, past executive orders, I think, are really interesting to yeah. Look like at. Um, still, like Franklin Roosevelt is still like the person who had the most um, executive orders um, done especially, like, with things like the New Deal that he, like, proposed. A lot of people say that that was a bad thing, but executive orders don't necessarily have to be a bad thing. No, it's like, you usually look at, something um, that, um, in, like, like, especially, like, things like some of the Obama administration, like, what he did is that he um, introduced a executive order that was basically letting a teenager not be detained from America, so there's some things and that, And he like, took back the gag rule as well yeah. on abortion. So yeah, so seems there's to be a lot a, of... The yeah. gag rule seems to be a thing that is done pretty much every yeah. other... Republican, Democrat, Republican, yeah. Democrat. Yeah. yeah. But also looking at, like, um, President Kennedy and Johnson, they um, signed executive orders to stop racial discrimination in terms of hiring, um, yeah, rental like, housing and stuff like that. So it's... yeah. So they're not like, all bad. Similar. Yeah, like it's <laughs> just in like, a bad rap. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to another song now. Um. We're back for Represents' first show for 2017 on Sin Nation. Is everyone excited? Party, yeah. party, party. Party. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Um, so we've been talking about Trump and the state of America. Now we're going to look at Russia and some pretty frightening news that has come out in the past few days um, regarding domestic violence laws. So we just wanted to put out a warning. Um, our next discussion does relate to domestic violence. So if this stirs up any issues for you, please call 1-800-RESPECT. The Russian parliament has recently voted to decriminalise domestic violence in cases that do not require hospital attention or occur only once a year. Prior to this, such incidents of domestic violence was punishable by a minimum sentence of 15 years jail or a fine equivalent to 500 US dollars. The maximum sentence for one-off incidents of domestic violence, regardless of impact to health, was two years. This was due to a piece of legislation that was passed in only July last year. This was the first law passed specifically to target domestic violence in Russia. In the Duma, 380 voted for the new bill to repeal the 2016 bill, and only three 
voted against it. The draft is due to be discussed in the upper chamber and must be signed off by President Vladimir Putin before becoming a law. This bill is unlikely to attract opposition. The law was brought to the Duma by ultra-conservative politician Yelena Mizulina, who is known for her anti-abortion, anti-LGBTI opinions and her support of so-called traditional family structures. Mizulina also drafted the controversial law banning gay propaganda in 2013. Mizulina described the 2016 amendment as anti-family and claimed that it deprived parents of the right to beat their children. Other MPs stated that this new law proposed by Mizulina was necessary, claiming that the 2016 law created a loophole where penalties for violence between family members is much harsher than violence between others. Domestic violence is a big issue in Russia. 40% of violent crimes in Russia occur within the family, and as many as 36,000 women are assaulted by their partners each day. About 26,000 children are assaulted by their parents each year, and as many as 10,000 women die per year due to domestic violence in Russia. A recent survey by state-run pollster VTSIOM found that 19% of those surveyed believe it can be acceptable to hit one's wife, husband or child in certain circumstances. The same pollster found that 59% of those surveyed were in favour of softening the 2016 law. Russian police are generally reluctant to become involved in cases of domestic violence or family violence, as such cases are considered to be family matters. The push against anti-domestic violence laws is part of a larger cultural push towards traditionalism in Russia, away from Western values. Speaking to the Moscow Times, women's rights activist Aliona Popova stated that traditional or rather archaic views and values have become popular again in Russia. The move to decriminalise some forms of domestic violence in Russia has prompted international criticism. Secretary-General of the Council of Europe, Forben Yarland, sent a letter to the Duma chairman stating that reducing battery within the family from a criminal to an administrative offence with weaker sanctions for offenders would be a clear sign of regression within the Russian Federation and would strike a blow to global efforts to eradicate domestic violence. Amnesty International Director in Russia and Eurasia, Anna Kiri, has also strongly criticised the bill, calling it a sickening attempt to trivialise domestic violence, which has long been viewed as a non-issue by the Russian government. Claims that this will somehow protect families or preserve traditions are ludicrous. Domestic violence destroys lives. That was Represents Assistant Producer Julian Pillai. With that Julia but with that like pretty traumatic and frightening story on domestic violence laws in Russia, um, please remember if anyone's um, following this discussion or the previous package and you might feel uncomfortable or like raise any issues, please call one eight hundred respect. Um, so what did you guys um, take from that? Well, it was kind of really interesting um, to research that and um, kind of be like, okay, people are honestly, seriously thinking that perhaps a, just a little bit of domestic violence might be okay, which is pretty bizarre. I, I also found it quite weird how the people who were, um, who were pushing for it were women. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just found that really odd. Um, and it's kind of... This is a part of a, a larger kind of move towards traditionalism in Russia mm. and kind of trying to move away from Western ideology and Western values, which, I mean, like, 
it's a bit weird to think that like not being hurt at home is a western value because mm. that shouldn't be a western value yeah. that should just be a, a normal value yeah um so i found that really interesting and, and a little bit bizarre to be honest yeah especially given the statistics like 600 russian women are killed um in their homes like every month so it just kind of it's like the weirdest law yeah to, or to do you uh, think it's also like a social thing in the sense that like um sometimes like different cultures are like well it's something that should be between me and my house kind of thing well do you think yeah, that that's I think that, yeah yeah that definitely could tie into it like it um, shouldn't be a political issue some people like yeah suggest yeah it's an interesting thing because they're saying um a lot of the ultra conservatives who are um, pushing for this particular this particular law to pass, um, they were kind of saying that we need to strengthen the family as an institution. Yeah. Um, so like the state should not be involved in family matters, mm. which <clears throat> it's it's an interesting kind of logic. I don't I don't really understand it, mm. um, but I, I found that quite interesting as well as the fact that police officers generally speaking in Russia, do not feel particularly comfortable getting involved in family matters um, as the police as the police force. Um, so there was a story about a, um, a woman in Russia who contacted the police being um, concerned about her boyfriend's abusive behaviour mm. and the police were like, no, this isn't our, this is not what we're supposed to mm. do and, you know, we'll come if he kills you. And then that actually happened. Um, oh. So... It's interesting how, like, the police do not consider themselves to be um, in any way kind of responsible for family issues, which is really interesting and kind of bizarre. Hmm. (coughs) Um, Especially, like, last July, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's just the weirdest reversal. Definitely. Um, There was a, a kind of... And I don't really know how much to, how how I would assess it, but there have been people saying that you know you'll get into more trouble for hitting someone at home than hitting someone else completely random on the street, and is yeah. that a problem? So, if that is such a problem, why not make it like why don't have harsher penalties for just violence in general mm. rather than um, almost decriminalize domestic violence? That's kind of <laughs> a bit of flawed yeah. logic. Um, so we're going to go to another song. Um, and just, again, if anything from the previous discussion has caused any issues, please call 1-800-RESPECT. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. If you'd like to join in on our... Dis- oh, sorry, you're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. If you'd like to get in... Uh, if you'd like to get involved in the discussion about this very, very interesting year so far, um, tweet to us at SinRepresent or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. We are coming back home to Australia to look at some controversy around the Row 8 Highway Extension in Perth. To talk further, we've got Katie Hopper on the phone. Um, Katie Hopper is a Melbourne-based student journalist who grew up in Perth and she's been following the issue extensively. Hi, Katie. Hello, how are you guys doing? I'm doing good. So what is the controversy around row eight, uh, row eight just like in, like, briefly? In a nutshell, briefly. <laughs> well, the Cliff Notes version is that there are major health concerns because 
the pollution rates will increase from as there's it, the trucks will go from on the roads will go from 3,000 to 1,300, mm-hmm. which is cutting straight through suburbs um, on their way to Fremantle Port. And their main, like the main concerns, are health concerns, and it's a pointless infrastructure, and it's a destruction of Aboriginal sites of significance, and also the destruction of wetlands, which are very, very rare in the in the Perth metro area. So, basically, I've been following it from my friends live where the just outside the where the row eight a proposed route is going to go, and up until recently there's been very, very little knowledge about where that route was going to go because there has been no transparency from the government. People have no idea where the route was. So only today, just on the 1st of February, they released the route, which is obviously since the government's basically gone on hiatus and the lead-up to the election. So the route is going to surround the suburb of Kubalup on three sides, so people are going to be getting a lot of pollution and all the bush that was preventing like noise and pollution from the traffic is being blown straight over the top of people's houses. And also what's been happening is that asbestos was found on the site of the proposed row eight and that's also been blowing directly through people's houses now that there's a wind tunnel. So it's a big it's a pretty complex issue and it's kind of been hidden. It's been the plans for row eight were started in nineteen fifty five and they haven't upgraded them to, you know, suit the growing concerns for the protection of the environment and also people's welfare and the continuing destruct and also continued the destruction of indigenous sites. Um, a site was delisted from the from the the heritage listing and it was found in 2003 the environmental protection agency said that most it was the most significant historical site within the perth metropolitan area south of the river and that included the uncovering of 2000 artifacts and these were delisted because they were in the route of the row eight highway mm. and so, yeah. yeah so you said that this has been the the, the plans for row eight have existed since the 60s why do you think there's been such like it, right now this is something that's been popping up on my newsfeed quite quite a lot um yeah. it's it's an issue that people even not from um wa are talking about um so why do you think there's such an increase in in like kind of focusing on this issue now well the increase has happened because there's not because it's actually happening it's been protested my friend's I, my friend who lives in Kubalup, Kelly Russell, and her family, they've lived in the area for years now, and every time it's been proposed, the community has come together and opposed it. What happened this time is that the government basically didn't refuse to release any information, so it's been kind of happening under the radar, and now all of a sudden, and so people, there's been a small group of people constantly working to try and get people's attention, and in the lead-up to the... Um, and and. Luckily, with the um, rise of people being taking interest, especially in indigenous affairs as well and in environmental affairs, people have started to, you know, recognize that, holy crap, this is something that needs to be paying attention to. And so there's, and also because there's 80% of Perth's wetlands were destroyed. And so there's 
very little left and people really are passionate and want to protect it. Yeah. And finally, what? so the WA election is coming up quite shortly. How do you mm-hmm. think this issue will affect the election? Or be addressed? Um, I hope that it affects the election positively, but unfortunately there is a big divide in WA between people in the area and people outside the area and also a lot of liberal voters aren't it's not a concern of theirs because they don't live along their route so unfortunately it hasn't a lot of the local newspapers in WA haven't been reporting the issue as maybe as much as some inter, as interstate um, news sites have so I think it will divide people strongly but I'm hoping that because it's become more of a national issue that people will maybe pay attention mm-hmm. and it will affect the maybe affect the election towards labor i'm not entirely sure well thank you so much for speaking to us katie and have a good day mm-hmm. thank you very much Thanks. uh you are back on sin uh, represent on sin nation if you want to join the conversation you can tweet us at sin represent or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash forward slash sin represent. Um, so we've covered quite a lot of topics, guys. Yes, we have. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been great. Um, so we wanted to uh, introduce a new segment called Pop Chat, where we all um, sort of like find a piece of news or something that happened throughout the week that kind of like stood out um, and just bring it up as a um, nice chat thing. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, something that was popular um, throughout the week that we thought was like really interesting um, that, yeah, caught our attention. So Maria. Yeah. um, I thought of like introducing like the White House press secretary of calling um, Turnbull as Trumbell. Like, <laughs> I wish we had audio of that. We should have got audio. Should have got audio. Yeah, like, <laughs> I found that like really interesting because it's like, okay, like, and the did memes. he like spell it wrong on the like paper and then he read it and he's like, oh no, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, um, and then also that whole like media frenzy kind of thing, um, and like finally like Trump. Um, tweeting thanks for telling me the truth and then being like hate fake news you know he's like no fake news you know so yeah it's just an interesting story how about you uh, mine was 1984 going to the bestseller list again um i thought that was really when was the last time like was it the release that was the last time that it became like it was i feel, no, I I feel, feel like, like it's always be been it. popular no but that's <laughs> i don't like, think it was when it would be released because it was released it was released in the... Oh, yeah, I can no, imagine, I mean, like, in, like, you know how when it had, like, its second... Yeah, because so this it is its second win, yeah. yeah. I can't yeah. imagine... I don't know when the first one was. It was, like, in the nine, past 1940s. Would yeah, it be yeah. because yeah. that time, like, Orwell's stuff was kind of controversial? I feel like so, it would have been, like, banned. <laughs> it was originally banned. Yeah. Because they so, didn't want to make, like, they like a lot of, like... Because it was, like, a political satire kind of thing. Yeah. So they didn't want to like people to t- take correlations between like their political like And then I guess like McCarthyism yeah. coming in that yeah. wouldn't have really been like great. Everyone's like But <laughs> it has it, it's now currently like bestsellers. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's so interesting like mirroring um 
uh, like with the previous um, what Kellyanne Conaway said on the mm. National Press oh, thing. Out, out truth. Or, or, yeah, alternative facts. Alt facts. In terms of Sean um, Price's just insisting that Trump's inauguration was the largest crowd ever because he has the biggest crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, it's with Double Think in 1984. Yeah. So, yeah. And there was a quote that I picked up that I want to read because I think <laughs> it really... 1984, right? It, yeah, because of 1984, basically. So it was the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears it was their final, most essential command, which is basically America's life right now. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought that was just like, yeah, really interesting. Pop chat. <laughs> Pop chat. How are you, Julia? <laughs> um, so the the Berkeley riots um, in response to Breitbart. Um, so if people don't know who Breit what Breitbart is, it's a um, it's an alt right um, news agency by news. I, I, I quote unquote quote unquote <laughs> news. Um, so a writer from Breitbart called Milo Yiannopoulos, who has previously been banned, lifetime banned from Twitter, from getting into a fight with Leslie Jones from um, Ghostbusters. He was going to speak at University of California about Berkeley, and um, there were riots, um, <laughs> riots with fire um, about it. <laughs> and um, now Trump is like threatening to withdraw Fred federal funding specifically from from that campus this was announced over twitter as well wasn't it yeah of course because yeah. that's, like, that's where that's the communication <laughs> tool that's like the only way i'm really surprised though that like twitter's just like so like i don't know they ban like r the random like people that just like are a little bit like not like a little bit annoying but mm. like the people who don't have much power but are don't, saying yeah. the exact same things like oh right like or like yeah. certain t um, people who have like aggressive like demeanors on like Twitter, but they don't like. I guess freedom of speech is hard to like. like it yeah. is interesting because I feel like I feel like um, since he got banned, Milo has become much more well known. So if they were yeah. trying to like suppress him, it kind of backfired. And it is interesting because um, a lot of the alt right use tactics that are very similar to um, internet trolling, where they say shit and you don't even know if it is real or if it's not real, but. It is purely to evoke a reaction, mm -hmm. and then a reaction has happened in a form of a riot at a campus. And it, it's actually really hard to see, like, how much like is is this is this stopping certain you know alt right people claim it to be neo neo fascism neo Nazism? Is that stopping that, or is it actually igniting it? So yeah. it's actually really interesting to see how the left is reacting. Yeah, that's good pop chat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked it. We'll keep it. Um we are going to go to another song. Um you've been listening to Represent on Sin Nation and unfortunately that's all we have time for today. Um join us next next week at the same time on Sin Nation as we will continue to journey through what we expect to be a very interesting year in politics. I'm Julia. I'm Tash. I'm Maria. Represent. Represent. And Represent. tune in next week. Represent. On Sydney Nation.